Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I want to bring on Veronica Willis. She's a vice president, investment strategy analyst at the Wells Fargo Investment Institute. Veronica, I'm guessing you're having some, uh, I guess, uh, interesting calls with your clients here as these markets sell off here and uh, during this uh, first uh, four and a half months of 2022. Give us a sense of kind of what your clients are asking you and maybe what, what, what you're telling them. Absolutely. You're right. We get calls all the time, really concerned about inflation. Have we seen the peak in inflation? What are we expecting to happen with inflation? And then also, you know, what should I do as a client when stocks are down and bonds are down together? Where can I go? And so I'll kind of start off with looking at inflation. It might be a little bit too early to tell whether or not inflation has peaked. Uh, with CPI, we saw a little bit of a slowdown from the previous month, um, the same with PPI, but both a little bit higher than what analysts were expecting. And so that's something we really want to watch really closely with those increases, especially in the, the services areas where inflation might be a little stickier than many of us expected. Mm. And so inflation is something we're watching closely over the next 18 months. We think inflation can remain um, above those long-term averages through 2023 before sort of um, returning to more normalized level. Wow. Through 2023. That's next year, Paul. I know. (laughs) Oh, man. We're, We're thinking about, we're thinking about next year. And, you know, we really want to try to guide our clients to that longer term perspective, especially if they're in longer term plans to not make rash decisions because of the short term volatility and to really stick to that long term plan. Well, recently in in our um, advice, our allocation advice, we've gone a little bit more neutral with our stocks. If you have if you have a longer term perspective, Veronica, um, and you're worried about inflation that far out. Do you, you know, start getting into stocks now, assuming you just hold out, or start adding to your position now if you've already got it, just because you have a longer-term position? Okay, we've taken a lot of pain, but and, and there may be more to come, um, but do you think stocks are a good way to hedge against inflation? Absolutely. That's exactly what we've been telling our clients. If you've got a targeted allocation to your equities, you want to make sure that you are moving back into equities during these downturns if you're a long-term investor. You really want to make sure that you've got that allocation set up the way that you intended it so that when markets start to recover, you're able to recover quickly and not be over-allocated in the less risky areas like bonds. And it's hard to weather that short-term volatility, but if you're thinking out to that long term, you've got to keep that perspective and make sure that that allocation is 
set up so that you can, you know, recover quickly when markets eventually upswing. Right. And Veronica, what's the Wells Fargo economic call? Are you guys calling for a recession? Because I'm sure, you know, a lot of folks are concerned that maybe this Federal Reserve may go a little too fast, too quickly, and in fact, push this economy into a recession. What do you guys think about that? Here in the U.S., we are expecting economic growth this year um, and economic growth next year, but at lower levels than what we were expecting before. So, our base case is slowing economic growth, but we're acknowledging that the risks of the recession are rising. It's something that we're watching very closely, especially looking at the consumer spending data. That's something we'll be watching very closely. We've seen weakening consumer sentiment not yet spill over into weaker consumer spending, but that's something that we're keeping a close eye on because that's a huge driver for the U.S. economy. What do you think about the Uh, moves that we've seen in crypto, how much does it matter to, you know, real investors, to to your clients? Um, Because they're making huge headlines and it's like watching a train wreck here in slow motion, but we're not seeing much contagion into the, you know, plain vanilla uh, financial assets. Right now, we don't have any kind of recommended allocations in crypto. And so we kind of guide our investors towards, you know, a stock bond. And then if you've got exposure in real assets, we like um, commodities right now in the longer term perspective. And so that's sort of where we're kind of guiding our clients towards those types of assets, as opposed to something like crypto. Hey, Veronica, I guess a lot of folks are saying, you know, stagflation is probably the bigger risk than recession. And, you know, so we got you got inflation, which we do. You have slowing growth, with which we do. Is that something that you're talking to your clients about? It, it's a question we've gotten sometimes. Just what will, you know, the slow growth and the higher inflation mean? We do recognize that inflation should remain higher than are those longer-term averages in the near term, but we are expecting it to slow. So it's a risk, but it's not our, our base case. It's not our base risk that we're seeing. Right now, we're a little bit more concerned about the slowing and economic growth. All right, Veronica, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, appreciate getting your thoughts here on these markets. Veronica Willis, Investment Strategy Analyst at Wells Fargo Investment Institute. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Check in with Robert Teeter, head of investment policy and strategy group at Silvercrest Asset Management. Robert, you know, in the wall of worry that is out there, there are an increasing number of bricks here, most recently, I guess, geopolitical risks. Are there any positive signs out there that might support this market at some point? I think that's a great question. There are a massive number of bricks in that wall of worry. I think most of them have been uh, reasonably well factored into the market here. In other words, they're pretty well known. But I think that the most important item to crack some of this downside momentum is, is solving some of those problems and solving some of those bricks. And the, and the most important of all the bricks, of course, is inflation. And so that's where we take a bit of a deeper dive and say, you know, what's going on with these metrics and inflation? And are we starting to see some glimmers of hope? And I think we are. And so hopefully uh, that will start to be reflected uh, going forward. Forward in prices. Where are you seeing glimmers of hope? Yes, not, there, there aren't a lot. So from the very beginning of the inflation problem, we've asked ourselves three questions, which is inflation, is it spiking, is it spreading, and is it sticking around? Clearly, it's been sticking around for a long time. It has spiked quite a bit, although perhaps it's starting to slow a little bit as the month-over-month readings have come in just a little bit lighter than prior months. And then to the question of is it spreading, we've done some analysis around all the categories within CPI, looking at where they sit versus their uh, three-year pre-COVID average. And we've seen a slight decline in the number of categories that are showing inflation above that prior historical average. It's only slight, so you know there's still 70, 75% of categories above uh, the three-year average, but that's down from kind of 85, 90% in prior months. So we'll see if this, this trend continues a little bit for inflation, at least perhaps peaking and maybe easing a little bit in, in coming months. Robert, are you in the camp that believes that the Federal Reserve can materially rein in inflation? I'm not sure I am because it just feels like it's so much more supply-side driven with all the supply chain challenges that have developed over well, the entire Well, they crash world. the economy, though. Yeah, that, that would be that'll a good do it, but, that, but that's not what we're looking for. So how do you think about the, uh, the Fed's ability, Robert, to, to kind of get a handle on uh, inflation? Right. That, and that is the blunt tool instrument. And I think that's partially what investors are starting to worry about here. Like you, I share the view that inflation is a pretty complex problem here. A lot of it is related to supply chains and whack-a-mole problems and, and a lot of different things going on. Um, clearly, one area, though, where the rate hikes transmit pretty quickly uh, is in the fact that, you know, we've seen rates of all types go up pretty quickly, especially for things like mortgages. And with housing being a big part of CPI, uh, that will hopefully start to moderate some of the price increases that we're seeing in the housing market and transmit to a little bit more stability and pricing overall. But as for the other increases, those are related to a lot of problem solving that needs to go on industry by industry. So what is an investor to do right now, especially if um, we are in a position where markets are going to just churn lower and lower? um, where, Where does an investor go? Well, I think one of the things here that's really important is to try to focus on time horizon, and that's not easy to do when markets are sometimes going up and down 3%, you know, one day after the other. But I think it is really But these are going important. down 3% one day after the other. They have been, and there have been, been a few that have been up, but I, I, I agree, it is a very choppy environment, and I think, it's, I think it is likely to stay that way. Uh, it's not an easy environment to make some changes in, though, because I do think that the longer-term fundamental backdrop is still pretty sound. So forecasts for the economy are still for uh, pretty decent growth. 
growth. New York Fed at, at 4% or so. Earnings came in pretty solid this quarter, and the outlook going forward is pretty solid. So I think the underlying fundamental picture is still very decent, if not good, uh, but it's in this macro environment that's been very difficult. And the challenge there, of course, is we don't know the timeline exactly when those problems will change. But when they do, those, those clouds will start parting, and I think what we see behind it is, is a pretty good backdrop again for the economy and earnings. Is it even worth your time and analysis and investors' time and analysis to try to get a sense of where the bottom is? Are there any valuation calls to be made? Is there a volume call to be made where you say, okay, this feels like the bottom? Yeah, that's never easy to do. Certainly, valuations come in quite a bit, so that's a bit compelling. Um, I think sentiment has gotten to the, the sort of maximum awfulness, uh, so that's potentially another sign that we could be nearing a bottom. And the thing that I'm really looking for is, when do we see any change in the things that have caused uh, the momentum to the downside to really build? And again, in my mind, there's really only two ways to break that downside momentum. One is to see some improvement in inflation, the biggest brick in the, in the wall of worry, as you were saying. And the second would be, if we get the passage of time and a little bit of stability and investors, again, are allowed to, you know, enabled to look forward a bit and look at the picture that's headed over the next six quarters or so when we think the earnings backdrop is good. So either of those two things, I think, would turn the tide. But it's a pretty challenging and unpredictable environment right now. Do you like any alternative assets? I mean, with your hedge fund uh, history, where are you hedging? Yeah, no, that's a good question. It, 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 it should be a, a good environment for a number of different types of alternative investments, partly because of the, the time horizon uh, function and partly because of the ability to hedge out some market risk. We do think that stock selection plays a really key role here. So strategies like long-short equity or active equity management on the, on the public market side, um, we like a lot because we think, again, that problem solving is happening industry by industry, company by company, having to deal with the myriad of issues that have come up as a result of COVID and supply chain challenges and staffing challenges, and, and we could go on and on with the challenges. But companies solving those, we think, sets up very well for stock selection here. All right, Robert Teeter, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Good, good stuff there. Robert Teeter, Head of Investment Policy and Strategy Group at Silvercrest Asset Management. Now let's get to marijuana. Kim Rivers joins us, Chair and CEO over at True Leave. Um, and Kim, tell us first of all, what exactly you're doing in the industry you're growing are you an intermediary are you selling uh what's true leave do sure so uh true leave is a multi-state operator we operate in 11 um, markets across the u.s we have um, a very large footprint with the largest retail footprint of 165 retail locations and over 4 million square feet of cultivation and processing which allows us uh, the scale to manufacture over 900 SKUs that we distribute through both retail and wholesale channels. All right. So to me, the most interesting thing, uh, complex and difficult in the cannabis industry right now, is um, identifying strains and translating that to the consumer. I just watched a great documentary, CBD Nation, and talked about um, the fact that certain strains can shrink tumors, fight Alzheimer's, um, do all these amazing things, but you've got to have the right ratio of THC to CBD as well as the right terpenes, um, and it gets so difficult. How do you do that? Yeah, well, we think that obviously communication through brand is, uh, you know, where the future of cannabis and certainly something that we're very focused on. Um, you're speaking about, you know, both ratio in terms of uh, different cannabinoid components of products. There's a lot of work and we're doing a lot of work right now in the R&D space around, um, you know, formulations of specific products to address specific concerns. 
But really, it comes down to, uh, you know, basic brand building and basic basic communication and matching uh, brands um, with need states uh, across markets as the correct value proposition. So, um, you know, certainly uh, there's exciting work that's going on in the cannabis arena, um, and we're, we're front and center in that work um, across, across so, what we're doing um, in our 11 markets. So what are the brands um, out there? I'm not as familiar with the flower as I am with the edibles, but you've got Kana, um, you've got Plus, you've got Kiva that are big players. What brands are you, are you running? Yeah, so I mean, on the edible front, right? We have we have Sweet Talk that we run in house. We launched that uh, that suite of products um, earlier this year across um, again across our home markets. Uh, we also have a brand partnership with with Bang in the edible space. Uh, when we look at our wellness health and wellness brand, we have Momenta. Uh, Ethan Zahn, who is the Survivor winner and just completed the Boston Marathon, is a brand ambassador for us. Uh, he actually completed the Boston Marathon uh, utilizing our products as part of his regimen. Uh, so that was very exciting. Uh, we have certainly on the flower side, our premium flower strains, strains our cultivar collection, uh, which have, to your point, um, communicated benefits of a higher level of THC, but also a higher level of terpene and flavonoid uh, profiles, which have been very, very well adopted in, in our markets. So, um, again, it's important to have brands across segments. Uh, Muse is our, our concentrate line, again, for folks who, um, who are our concentrate users. Um, and, and, you know, it's, um, we've got also a partner with Blue River, which is a solventless company uh, who's doing some exciting work um, on the solventless side of things. But um, really, I would say going back to edibles, one of the things that we've really been focused on in edibles is not only, of course, great tasting products um, that are consistent, but also um, adding in additional nanoformulations. Fast acting. For, yeah, fast acting. That's so the key, Paul, because you don't want to – you don't want to take an yeah. edible and think like a half hour later, this isn't working. Then you eat another one only to realize that was too much, <laughs> right? So the key, this nanotechnology. So what's the key again? I'm ready. Okay. There's a nanotechnology okay. that helps it helps you get hit, get, get the hit of it faster so that you know, you know, uh, how your dose should be. Really? Yeah, That's right. Good stuff. That's right. Exactly. Hey, Kim, where are we with kind of the state by state cannabis legislation how broad is this like how many states can uh, cannabis be recreational cannabis be sold uh so i mean currently um recreational cannabis um is uh, is available um in you know less than half of the states but that's certainly increasing and we expect to increase that to increase over time we've got large parts of the country particularly in the southeast and in uh, you know the, the central uh, part of the country that have yet to adopt medical programs. Um, so you know, typical life cycle of cannabis adoption in a state is to lead with a medical program that um, oftentimes is restrictive um, on the front side, and then develops over time into uh, a more lenient, and then finally an adult use market. And um, certainly, that's the pattern that we've seen it's all evolve. Going yeah, across across. It's the all country. going there. It's just it's a matter of time. Yeah. Where are you on the sativa versus indica debate? Because well, you got to define that. Okay, so there's a lot of people who swear by sativa versus indica, saying the former gives you like a nice head buzz. It'll get you energetic, maybe a little pressure behind the eyes, but you can be really creative and get things done. Whereas indica is like a couch high. It's a body high. It, it'll help you sleep. You know. Um, but then some people say that differentiator isn't necessarily um, reliable. What do you think, Kim? Well, I mean, I think, it, again, it all comes down to the science. And, and really, I mean, the science and, and indica and sativa are, are labels that, that have developed over time as just a, a simplified indicator 
on, on how certain strains typically affect folks. Um, but really, it does come down to, um, again, the, terp- the terpene profile um, and, and the genetics of that particular plant, um, which, again, is why we think there is such an opportunity um, for clear communication um, and branding in this in this space. So, Dude. you know, I think that, look, Sativa and Indica serve as a, as a you know, a decent uh, indicator so that folks can make at least an informed um, informed decision. But really, as just like just like with wine or with other other products, as, as folks become more sophisticated, we find that, um, you know, instead of just focusing on those labels, uh, they're instead, you know, mm. gravitating more towards understanding what the underlying, um, you know, uh, components of that particular product. It's all about the terps. I think that's the key, you know, and the science, there's still a long way to go in terms of identifying the terpenes and figuring out what they do, um, what mixtures uh, uh, result in in which effects. I think it's just so fascinating. Um, You're the expert. I'm learning so much. By the way, Kim, are you high? No, right, right now, no. I just had earnings, so um, my uh, my now I am. I have been, if you can tell, my throat. I have uh, I have been kind of pounding some uh, let's see, throat coat tea and some uh, Dayquil over here. But uh, sometimes, if you're congested, maybe just a little bit of uh, you know, just a, just one little hit can can dry you up right away. Right away. All right, Kim Rivers, thank you so much for joining us. Kim Rivers, chair and CEO of TrueLeave. It is a publicly traded stock. TCNNF is the ticker. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Ed Ludlow is also in San Francisco, um, and he is basically our kind of EVs reporter. Rocket ships. He's the rocket guy. Um, he really covers all the Silicon Valley like tech stuff. And what about weed, Ed? Do you ever uh, indulge? I do not cover that industry, and <laughs> I do not indulge. But in California, many people do, and that's their. Choice. Do we have a dedicated before we get to Rivian? Because that's why we, we do. Brought you on. Do we have a dedicated you, weed reporter? We do, Tiffany Carey, and I really recommend you follow her on Twitter and on the Bloomberg Terminal for all of her reporting. All right, I'm in. Let's get to Rivian right now because um, I was not only um, was I reading the stories yesterday and following very closely, especially because I'm sure you saw that Volkswagen is bringing back the International Scout. 
Yes. And it looks a heck of a lot like a Rivian. <laughs> it kind of does, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's electric. It'll be a direct competitor um, to that. And the Bronco, when Ford finally electrifies the Bronco. Why they didn't bring that one out electric first, I'll never understand. But uh, Rivian did pretty well. And I saw an analyst quote um, out of Wells Fargo, Colin Langan, that I thought was really good. He said, uh, no bad news is sometimes good news. Yeah. I, I mean, that's basically the perfect sum of the earnings that nothing really happened. You know, they reaffirmed guidance for the year. They'll build 25,000 EVs. That was already essentially a cut forecast for the year because the factory on paper was capable of doing 50,000 this year and supply chain problems, part shortages. Um, but, you know, this is a company that's fledgling, right? It, it, we've been so caught up in the, the equity story where the stock's fallen from $172 a share in November following the IPO to around $20, $25 a share that we forget it's just a fledgling company trying to get off the ground. So, Ed, is, is there still, I guess, again, judging by the stock price you just mentioned here, we're down 75% year to date. Right. I guess there's real concern about it. This is an ongoing concern whether they can actually make enough cars to turn a profit we've, we've really been debating this okay um in the team today because not all ev makers or would-be ev makers are equal right you know rivian i've been inside the factory it's real you know they produced around 2500 vehicles in the quarter they've built 5000 of them since uh, starting production in september they are supply constrained, right? That demand vastly outweighs their ability to build, but their ability to build is also constrained by part shortages. And the message from management on the call was very much, it's improving. And, and they're having to go cap in hand, right? To their suppliers and say, we're ready to build vehicles. You guys just have to give us the parts. Um, because when you're a small player, you don't have that leverage of scale that say a Tesla has or a GM or Ford has to put pressure on suppliers to make them come up with the goods. By the way, your, your wedding is coming up. It is. If I really? decided, uh, listen, I'm going to give Ed Breaking uh, news. a Rivian <laughs> for his wedding, um, and I put in the order today, would I get the truck in time? No, not even close. I mean, we're talking <laughs> 2023, 2024. Wow. That's a generous offer, by the way, Matt. Um, <laughs> you know, my better half, she's very much thinking about a future home and sort of kitchenware, but if a Rivian would be good. But this is the story. <laughs> You know, that, that it's a one or two year waiting list. It's exactly. And okay. it's a one or two year waiting list for an expensive product. They've already raised prices. Right. And they've actually come out and said subsequently that we can't actually guarantee the price now. How much is a conservatively built? I'm sure you've been on the configurator and put together right. your dream Rivian. How much is a conservatively built truck? $80,000, basically. Wow. Yeah. It's a lot, isn't it? And yeah. especially if you're going to wait by that time. You'd imagine that Ford with the F-150 might use that opportunity to to scale quicker and offer a lower-end product. Similar price point, though, by the way, because I've, I've uh, configured my F-150 Lightning on the website, and I also get to 80 or 90. Yeah, that's, that's a lot. A, that's a, that's and a that's without on. putting on the, the rooftop tent and um, oh, gotta the that. tunnel grill. Oh, I mean, I there's so many cool uh, things, especially that you can add to a review. I'm an old-fashioned stock guy. When I buy like an that. IPO and I see, uh, you know, some of these big, big insiders sell stock like day one when they're when, when they can. Like in this case, Ford and J.P. Morgan sold the Rivian stock. What does the company say about that? Yeah, they they're sanguine about it. 
Um, I mean, y- you raise a really good point. A lot of the pressure on this stock in recent weeks has been the lockup expiry, right? And this was a blockbuster IPO. Remind your listeners, sixth biggest IPO in, in US history, the biggest of 2021, at a time where it was still dis- revenue still distant, volume revenue, sales were actually so- softer than expected in this quarter, just gone. Um, how do you value it? I mean, on the call, Adam Jonas of Morgan Stanley, who you guys are familiar with, he was really fixated on enterprise value. Superstar car analyst. Right, superstar car analyst. And he was like, guys, the market has no patience for companies like yours who are burning through cash. Rivian's point is, well, we are burning through cash, but we have $17 billion on the balance sheet. I don't want to throw them in the same bucket as Nikola. That's what I'm saying, is that not all EV makers are, are, are equal, right? That you, you think about the Lordstowns, the Nikolas, they don't have $17 billion of cash. The concern from the market and, and what you see reflected in the equity story is it's going to take them a lot and a long time to reach profit. But the message from the management was scale. Scale brings profit. We've got a beautiful, shiny factory. And I can tell you, because I know I've been there, thousands of built trucks are on the lot waiting for delivery. They're just fledgling working out the logistics i like the suv uh the enclosed suv version rather than the pickup truck because if i'm gonna pick up truck i'm gonna get american pickup you're gonna get american pickup truck sure you are ed ludlow west coast correspondent bloomberg news bring us the latest on rivian the stock's up 25 percent today that's the good news the bad news down 75 percent year to date thanks for listening to the bloomberg markets podcast you can subscribe and listen to interviews at apple podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.